On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we discuss Vanderbilt's performance in the SEC baseball tournament, as well as how they closed out the season in their series against LSU. We also discuss the Whistler controversy with Barstool Sports and friend of the podcast Ben Mintz, better known as Mincy, and we'll also give an update here on Scottie Pippen Jr.'s draft stock and a deal that he was able to sign. That and much more coming up on episode 163 of The Door Report. Let's ride. At Vanderbilt. It's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report. The premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who bleed black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. Welcome back to The Door Report. Today is May 27th, 2022. This is episode 163, and I am Will Byram. As always, The Door Report is presented by the fine folks at Alaco Finewood Floors. Family-owned and operated for more than two decades, Alaco Finewood Floors is Nashville and Middle Tennessee's choice for premium quality hardwood floors. You can visit their website at Alaco with two L's and two C's, Finewood Floors. Unfortunately, I'm unable to be joined by my usual co-host, Billy Derrick. He's actually down in Hoover, Alabama right now for the SEC baseball tournament. So I'm solo dolo here today for episode 163, but we'll get into a little bit of an SEC tournament recap for the Vandy boys, as well as recapping that season finale series against LSU. We will get into the Whistler and the controversy created surrounding the infamous Whistler slash Whistlers by former guest to the podcast, actually, Mincy Ben Mintz over at Barstool Sports. So some storylines associated with that and then get into Vanderbilt baseball's overall performance and what we have been saying all year. Uh, where is, does this team cap and, and really is this a something that can be turned around or or is this just a team that doesn't have the capability this season and we will also give an update here on scotty pippen jr's draft stock what he's done at the nba combine and a deal that he signed with an agent and entertainment group over there so that and much more but before we get into that don't forget to follow us on twitter at door underscore report and instagram door dot report like us on facebook subscribe to our youtube channel which we are going to get going. We've got the capability now. I promise we are working on it, but our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. It's now time for breaking news. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to a Laco fine wood floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. 
Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. First, we have to get into the most fun. Well, I wouldn't even say fun. The most prevalent storyline so far surrounding Vanderbilt, which hasn't had anything to do with the poor on-field performance that we have seen recently from the Commodores. It has been all related to one guy, well, actually two guys, but the Whistler, or the two guys that are the singular aura and bigger-than-life character that is the Whistler. So Ben Mintz, who has actually joined the podcast a couple times, he's actually an Ole Miss Rebels fan, and last year going into the SEC tournament, we actually had him join, and then I think Billy had him on a few episodes back. I say a few, more like 20 episodes back at this point. We are in episode 163, but he decided to confront the Whistler at during the Ole Miss-Vanderbilt game, which Vanderbilt won 3-1 to one in the first round of the SEC tournament, so See you later, Rebels. Uh, short trip down to Hoover for them as they were eliminated in round one. So congratulations. But the viral moment that came out of that was Mincy going up and confronting, I would say, the secondary whistler. Uh, I don't know exactly, but I know that the main guy that everybody thinks is the whistler has the slicked back hair, the facial hair, is, always has, uh, has so much drip on him. He's always got a good outfit going. Uh, and he was decided to be confronted by... Um, and on video, and of course, then Barstool got a hold of it. Uh, Big Cat decided to build the legend of the Whistler calling in as a parody as, as Ben Mintz joined and was talking about the confrontation that he had down there in Hoover. Uh, but it just, I enjoy the fact that grown-ass men genuinely cannot handle three quick whistles, three quick claps. That is it. That's all it is. That's really all it is. Yes. Is it repetitive? Yes. Does it happen over and over? Yes. 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 All of that. But good God, there are so many things in college athletics that are so damn annoying that we just deal with day to day that opponents do. And it's always fun to be the person that is hated. And so I just always love the fact I don't even love the whistling. I think I, I could probably do without the whistling, but it does bring energy. And I love the fact that those guys just don't care. I, I've seen those guys. I, I've seen the. Uh, I've seen how they dress. I've seen that mustache. I've seen those sunglasses. Uh, that guy's not checking his Twitter mentions. Uh, that guy probably doesn't check Twitter. Uh, so it's just going to keep going. I, I kind of like what it's turned into. That it's just this larger than life character that kind of just creates this hatred towards Vanderbilt. Even though, what really has Tim Corbin done to? egg that on has Vanderbilt ever really even acknowledged anything associated with that no of course not but the one thing that I wanted to point out was congratulations volunteer fans I think that it's always fun to create a more raucous fan environment surrounding the SEC baseball tournament and that's what the Whistler does for for better or for worse it's what Tennessee fans have done it that tournament has a different energy around it recently and a lot of that has had to do with Vanderbilt's presence on the national scene and really bringing college baseball to the point that other schools started caring about it and other schools started putting resources towards it in a way that just hadn't happened happened in the past. But the one thing that Tennessee fans decided to do was after the whistler did his three quick whistles, whistle, 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 Tennessee fans decided to chant, go big orange. So it was whistle, 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 go big orange. 
And I just wanted to say there were so many things that would have fit that better in that rhythm is that it would be go Vols go much easier to say much more on rhythm verse go big orange. And the only thing that justifies using go big orange to fit into that chant there, because it is a different amount of syllables is the beautiful, beautiful pronunciation that Tennessee fans as a group, because the only way that that chant works is if as a group, you were saying those words in the same way, which is, it's not orange, it's orange. And that's how that, so that fits perfectly. So I just thought first, the lack of preparedness, there were so many better options. Go Vols go easier to say fits the rhythm. And then also just to fit what you even had to say, you just have to sound absolutely stupid. So that's about it on the whistle. There's not much else. Vanderbilt's performance so far in the SEC tournament has not lived up to the expectations that I think Vanderbilt fans had after the Arkansas series. Now, after that LSU series, I think some doubts were creeping back up into the minds as to whether or not this team really had it in them to turn around what so far has been a rocky season with the first losing record in the SEC for Tim Corbin since 2009. And the SEC tournament has sure not changed the mind of me or Billy about this team really not having the potential to turn it around and make a run. Like I think maybe the hope had crept into our minds after Arkansas. You saw that they were able to win against Ole Miss, uh, which needed to happen, but back it up to the Ole Miss game or back it up to the LSU series. When we were recording episode 162 during game one, Vanderbilt was going into that series with a little bit of momentum. I uh, had just beat Arkansas in that series nine to six in 10 innings, then lost game to 11 to six, uh, then won five nothing, then had beaten MTSU in their midweek game seven to two. Going into that LSU series, it felt big. It felt like Vanderbilt was potentially playing not just for seeding in the SEC tournament and a potential first round bye, but also a national seed. They were still in contention, even with how rocky this season had been with the parity in the SEC and the parity in overall college baseball and the competition level that Vanderbilt still had an opportunity to be a national seed. And unfortunately they came out and lost game one, 13 to two were thoroughly dominated game two. They did not bounce back at all eight to three. And then on Sunday was the performance that I just don't think Vanderbilt fans are used to seeing at all. And that was a big crooked number 21 runs LSU was able to push across against Vanderbilt 21 to 10 was the final score Commodores losing by 11 runs and it, the pitching all year had been you know not to the level of Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker because you're just not going to have that with Carter Holton Fitrell doing the midweek games Maldonado in the bullpen coming off the injury but the numbers have been good we listed off stats a few episodes ago where they were still uh, top 10 in the nation in, in a lot of statistical categories related to pitching. But in this LSU series, it, the, the can of worms was opened. I don't know the questions around the arms, the youth, the lack of depth, lack of experience and consistency. Everything went wrong. 13 runs, 8 runs, 21 runs. And then the sure-handedness in the field. I mean, there were a lot of errors. And that Tennessee game was was the perfect example that there's just a lack of chemistry. And and I don't know, baseball is not a huge chemistry sport necessarily, but you don't feel the energy 
that you felt in the past. And it's not easy to put into words, but I think if you have watched the games and, and been a part of Vanderbilt baseball for a long period of time, you always feel like Vanderbilt is putting the pressure on the opponent under Tim Cor- under Tim Corbin. Tim Corbin coached teams always feel poised and always feel like they're just waiting for the one opportunity to capitalize on, to change the momentum and turn around this game, even if they are down by a large number of runs, because baseball is a unique sport. There's no clock. There's truly never a time when a team is theoretically eliminated from the game. And it always felt like Vanderbilt, even when they were unable to come back, was within striking distance. And this team this year just hasn't felt that way. And I, and I can't put into words or the stats or why that is, but there just haven't been, hasn't been the feeling or energy around the program the same way in this year. And a lot of that may be just losing your stars from the previous season, but you have stars in big names on this offense. Enrique Bradfield has played amazingly well. It's hard to put any criticism on his play. Even though he he struggled a little bit in the SEC tournament, it hasn't. He's been outstanding, but there are names. Carter Young has gotten it going a little bit. In fact, he was the lone bright spot in the ten to one loss against Tennessee. He was the lone run with a solo bomb that actually didn't literally dented the scoreboard uh, out there in Hoover. Uh, we will break down next episode the likely seeding of the NCAA tournament because they're right now. Frankly, there's too much up in the air. This Vanderbilt-Kentucky game is in the bottom of the fifth right now. Vanderbilt is down 4-1. to one. This would be a tough one to lose. Vanderbilt right now, of course, is in the loser's bracket um, after being knocked down there by Tennessee. They avoided elimination, beating Ole Miss uh, on May 24th. Uh, which there, I, I say the date because there was a little bit of gap uh, in there and not regularly played as scheduled because of rain and weather. But this matchup against Kentucky, Vanderbilt is not producing. Once again, they've left a lot of runners on base, unable to get timely hitting. I know that Enrique early was picked off uh, when on second by a, move, by a throwback from the pitcher. And then I think it was Vaz was actually hit, kind of a pop-up, that actually would have scored Enrique Bradfield had he not been picked off second. So there's just little things like that. In the Tennessee game, Vanderbilt had four errors through five innings. That's just not something that Vanderbilt fans are used to seeing. That type of just non-cohesiveness, the shifts, balls literally going in between players' legs and into the outfield, just feeling out of position. You just don't feel secure in this team that they're going to make the plays in the key moments. So hopefully that can turn around. Granted, you weren't pitching Carter Holton against Tennessee. You started your midweek starter in Fitrell, but Maldonado came in and also struggled against this Tennessee lineup. And frankly, Tennessee's just the better baseball team right now. Unless something dramatically changes, this Tennessee offense just hits hits the hell out of the baseball. It, it's not just power. They're able to consistently make contact, have a good eye at the plate. The only thing is Tennessee is quite reliant on still hitting with power. And that is something that every single year, it doesn't matter how good you are and how many home runs you've hit throughout the season, that every single year hitting with power just does not translate to Omaha. But there's always a chance that I am completely wrong and they are going to continue to keep blasting home runs over the fence. 
uh, as the rest of the season continues. But <clears throat> that's probably enough baseball talk right now. Uh, there will be a lot more next episode once Billy is able to join again because this Vanderbilt-Kentucky game will obviously be over before the next episode right now. It is sitting in the top of the seventh, so that will be the last update as to where I am in real time. But moving to a different sport onto the hardwood. Scotty Pippen Jr. has definitely improved his draft stock. So I think it was a last episode or two episodes ago, me and Billy discussed specifically that Scotty Pippen Jr. had a lot to gain in this NBA draft combine, which took place from May 16th through the 22nd in Chicago at Wintrust Arena. And Scotty Pippen Jr. seems to have capitalized at least pretty well uh, on that opportunity. He had a lot of things to prove as to questions and concerns of his consistency, his turnovers to assist rate, but also his usage rate was extremely high. And he had some defensive questions, uh, but also the defensive questions related to how much of that was just him attempting to conserve energy because he knew that the entire offense basically was run through him when he was on the court. Uh, but Scottie Pippen Jr. measuring at six foot one and a half, uh, officially without shoes, I think he was six foot and a half. With shoes, he was six foot 1.75 inches uh, for whatever that's worth. But during game one on Thursday um, of the scrimmages at the NBA Draft Combine, he finished with 11 points and a game high six assists. Uh, so then on Friday, I think it was game four, he actually scored 21 points and led the scoring in that game. Uh, I'm not even going to pause for the train. I can't lose my train of thought here. This has already been a little bit difficult to record without Billy. Uh, Billy is just better at this than me. He has the uh, very melodic voice that goes along and, uh, and and leads you into the next topic. So I'm usually just the color guy giving my opinion. So hopefully this hasn't been too much of a train wreck to listen to. And I haven't repeated myself too many times. But after the NBA draft combine, Scotty Pippen Jr. actually signed with the prestigious Clutch Sports Group, and I'm using the adjective from VandyHustler.com, which has a great article that was posted today, May 27th, uh, about Scotty Pippen Jr. and his performance in the NBA Draft Combine. Uh, definitely go give that a read by Bryce Smith uh, over there at the Vandy Hustler. So always like to plug and give credit where credit is due great article. But there is uh, the storyline of Scottie Pippen Jr. signing with the Clutch Sports Group, uh, which is founded by LeBron James and his agent and friend Rich Paul, also associated uh, with some of the other of the business associates of LeBron James. I'm certainly not an expert um, on the inner workings of that sports agency. But basically, when you look at the client's uh, there are some very impressive names on that list. And, and this list is obviously not all inclusive. I'm not saying that this list is, is 100% uh, going to guarantee that Scottie Pippen Jr. is going to even be drafted, but there is potential and marketing ability of Scottie Pippen Jr. with that name uh, that, that just holds a little bit more weight in the modern climate of sports, which is the, the line that is drawn between sports and business is in the technology it just shifted a lot and this is right up my alley i could talk about this for hours but uh the the names on that list include one in particular in darius garland uh that was also a former commodore even though it was a brief stint but now you have darius garland and scotty pippen jr um, of the athletes in the nba represented by the clutch sports group alongside lonzo ball uh anthony davis um aaron gordon draymond green 
uh, Zach Levine, Ben McLemore, uh, Colin Sexton, Ben Simmons, John Wall, Gary Trent Jr. Uh, so some big names there on the hardwood. Um, and hopefully Scotty Pippen Jr. is able to capitalize on the name recognition. I know he has a lot of Instagram followers, but getting to what this means for Vanderbilt and what this this specifically with what Scotty Pippen Jr. and Darius Garland both signing with LeBron James's uh, sports agency is a pipeline and a direct business pipeline from Vanderbilt. So th- the trick in modern recruiting is not selling the college program or not just selling the college program because specifically in basketball, if you're one of these highly rated recruits, the numbers are just so much smaller. Once you are one of the elite level basketball players in the country in these AAU circuits, and that is an elite group, there is very, very few players actually in the NBA on a 30 team league with 12 guys that are actively dressed on that roster. That's a very small number, but all of these guys in their minds have the aspirations of becoming a pro basketball player when you're talking about the four and five stars, justifiably so. They're they're ranked in the top 100 players in the entire country. And the pipeline isn't just going to be related to, if I go here, I'm going to have eyes on me and be drafted. That was the old way of looking at recruiting. That was before every single game was on SEC Network and SEC Network Plus and ESPN Plus. And you can stream literally every single game from OVC to Division II, whatever you want. If you are good, you are going to be found. And the internet has changed that. And there have been a lot of questions about how is Vanderbilt going to sell themselves in the SEC with all of these teams and all of these resources. And a name I forgot to mention is Keyshawn Vaughn on the NFL side is, is also signed with the Clutch Sports Entertainment Group. So back to what I was talking about now that I've completely thrown myself off on my uh, train of thought. But with the NIL and what the NCAA has allowed athletes to do with capitalizing on their name, image, and likeness, there is an opportunity for schools to position themselves without directly being a pipeline, but coaches having relationships with these guys at the next level. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. This this idea that somehow money being associated with college athletics is going is making it dirty or anything like that, most of what the NIL has produced is exactly what I think a lot of people hoped it would. It produced guys making runs in the NCAA tournament were able to sign deals with Buffalo Wild Wings. And they're probably not going to be professional athletes. This is their opportunity to capitalize on their athletic abilities monetarily and they're able to do that finally so money that that's the first step is disassociating the idea of money and like dirty programs because that's just not the case it's not under the table anymore knowing that jerry stackhouse has a good relationship with nba guys it is a good thing it gets these guys where they want to go and where they can best fit at the next level. And, and a lot of that is, is associated with things that aren't even on the court. I mean, Baker Mayfield is on your television more than almost any other athlete besides maybe Shaquille O'Neal, because that guy's everywhere. But of active athletes, Baker Mayfield is about on every other damn commercial on Hulu. He's literally sponsored by Hulu. 
uh, who I have my live streaming service through. And he does, I think, the progressive commercials and he does the AT&T commercials and he does, I don't know, I think he's actually State Farm. He's not progressive. So he's one of the insurance companies that for some reason uh, pays these athletes insane amounts of money because if Baker Mayfield is there um, or <laughs> if Baker Mayfield is selling me insurance, that means it's good insurance. Or if Nick Saban is selling me Aflac, that means that it's good, right? But that that's a whole different conversation. But there is opportunity for a school like Vanderbilt located in a large metropolitan area that is different than being located in Starkville, Mississippi, or is different than being located in even Knoxville or Lexington, which are two of the actually bigger cities in the SEC. The, the scope and scale of what you can do on social media and monetize yourself on social media is just different now. The whole landscape has changed. And I'm actually probably a little bit in the older generation uh, that doesn't quite fit into the TikTok generation, which is how I'm going to describe it. You have the Twitter generation and then you have the TikTok generation. And I would say that's what really separates it. And the TikTok generation is what's coming in now. And, and that's not saying that they're on TikTok, but that's saying the idea that yourself, you are a brand. And that does does associate a little bit with Instagram as well. But that's an opportunity for a team like Vanderbilt that's just not going to have the resources or fan base of a traditional Power 5 SEC program. Uh, it's what UCF was trying to do with the QR codes on the back of their spring practice football jerseys. It's just, I don't think that that's necessarily the next step, but there, there's just so much opportunity to shake up the college landscape. And that's why you see people like Nick Saban uh, who are talking about that this is hurting the parity in college football. Like, shut the hell up. Like, there was there hasn't been parity in college football. That's the stupidest argument that that's what NIL is going to affect was parity. Parity in college basketball. Parity in college football. Really, are, are guys choosing between Kentucky and Dayton? Are guys choosing between Duke and UTC? Are, that's not condescending to those programs, but there was no parity. Alabama was not competing for the same level of wins and championships that Northwestern is or Vanderbilt. It's just right now, that's not the case. All that Nick Saban is concerned about is keeping the inequity of current college, the current college football landscape in place. And the inequity of the current college football landscape being in place is allows the conglomeration of talent. It allows all these five stars to just shove their way into Bama because they know that that's the only way that they're going to be playing for a national championship. But right now, there's so many other opportunities now that you can offer with NIL that it's not just about being the third five-star at your middle linebacker position. You can come in to these other programs with fan bases and be the star and capitalize on the NIL opportunities that you just would not get if you were at one of these programs like Bama or Auburn or LSU or Ohio State. You're just not going to get those because there's too many cooks in the kitchen. There's, there's only so many premier players with name recognition on each team. There's only so many stars. But every single Power 5 program needs to have stars and needs to have name recognition. And Vanderbilt's uniquely positioned that their NIL deals don't just impact the local community and local fans of that school. They give the opportunity to put these faces of these players on billboards and having sponsorships with Canes in front of 
of tourists on Broadway in cities build that brand, not just being associated as an SEC basketball player, but moving forward afterwards. And that's the broader scope that I think Vanderbilt needs to sell. So I haven't written that all out, Jerry. Uh, if you want any of my assistance, I'm sure I can consolidate that into a little bit better of a pitch. But there we go. There's the path forward, probably a little grandiose, but we'll get at least into where Scotty Pippen Jr. ranks on the big board currently. On ESPN right now, he's 71st in their overall rankings. On NBADraft.net, he's moved up 11 spots to number 91, and he's the 10th-rated point guard as well. Uh, that's pretty much wraps it up here for the NBA portion. There's not a ton of other news. We have the, the uh, Vanderbilt baseball game going on right now. Uh, we, of course, ran through that, but that looks like it's about going to do it for episode 163. Thank you all for listening. Once again, signing off, I am Will Byram. And next episode, thank God, Billy Derrick will be joining me as well. Thanks again, and as always, anchor down.